In less than three days, South Africa lost over 1 billion rands worth of stock, with over 15 billion rands worth of damages to private property and equipment. It's disgraceful. More than an estimated 55,000 informal traders affected, and more than 40,000 formal small businesses obliterated overnight, with a very mild 129,000 jobs at risk. I think that figure's way too low. I'm too irritated and too angry to actually even talk properly. This previous unrest in our country is going to affect way more than 129,000 jobs and more than just a few million people. Whether you were in the hot spot or close to the action or not, this previous unrest has affected all of us. No matter how you slice this, this doesn't make sense. How is it possible that this much chaos can happen within such a short space of time? This isn't even war. It's just protest. It's just unruliness. It's criminal is what it is. And how can any reasonable thought justify these actions or these events? It can't, and it doesn't. The only thing that will support these actions is misguided feeling. In this podcast, I'm going to put my anger aside and see if we can deal with this problem rationally. And let's see what thinking can actually do here. This is no longer a war between different classes or ethnic groups. This has become a war between reasonable thinking, between rational thought and mismanaged feelings and irrational emotions. Now already at this point, I'm sure I'm losing some people. And some people are really freaking out and maybe calling me names or just being upset with me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you feel upset towards me. It doesn't change the reality. It doesn't make it better. A lot of people standing around a mall singing our national anthem just to make each other feel better doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't put the food back on the shelves. It does not put the appliances back on the shelves. It does not undo the fire damage. It doesn't undo anything. And I think one of the biggest things that we all wrestle with is this was totally, totally preventable. How do we get to place our anger in the right direction? We can turn this anger into something which becomes constructive again and not destructive like it's been. And one of the places to start is to actually identify the real enemy here. The enemy is not ourselves, and it's definitely not the starving and hungry. It's not. The enemy is our thinking. The challenge is to get beyond the identification of people, and the challenge is to stop skirting around the actual issue and stop using excuses to just keep doing what we've been doing for so long. The things which blatantly do not work. It's a weird thing if a human being is a learning machine. The question is, what does it take for us to learn? Hmm. Or maybe the bigger question, and definitely a harder answer, is do we want to learn? Do we actually want to change? As we go deeper into this, we can explore this idea. And I think some of the stuff that we will discover will actually surprise you. I want to attempt to make a little bit more sense out of this chaos, so that we can wrap our minds around this. Because for as long as it stays in that realm of not making sense, it's just going to frustrate us even more. It's going to annoy us even more. And our emotions and our feelings are just going to run riot. And we've just seen what riots can do to our country. We see what riots can do to a shop. We see what riots do to our lives. Riots are not good things. Protests are not good things. And especially when they lead to events like this. Hmm. So let's get into it. This is Breakthrough Radio. Warning, this podcast might offend sensitive listeners. 
Just know this up front. This is not my intention. My intention is not to irritate, piss off, or offend people. It's all about exposing things behind things. And when we do expose these things, uh, sometimes it doesn't sit well with those who are sitting with the actual issue. So all that I do is I start prodding and I start digging and I start looking into a situation or I start looking into the way people think or what actually happens. I'm looking at the results of things. And invariably, it turns out that I might push your buttons or step on some toes. And this podcast is geared towards how do we make sense of chaos? You know, things that look like chaos or anarchy. How do we make sense of this? And this podcast is geared at the latest unrest, the latest looting and just pure destruction which we have seen around South Africa. How do we make sense of chaos? You know, things that look like chaos or anarchy. How do we make sense of this? Because we need some sort of backfill into where I'm coming from. Uh, we need to have some sort of background. We need to actually lay a foundation so that we actually have a clear language or that we have a common language or a common ground. And for the most part, this is actually going to come at it from a completely different angle. And the main thing I want to share with you today is a developmental model. It's the model which came from Claire Graves. And this model has quite a serious name behind it. I'm not going to share it here with you. But there's multiple models like this, multiple developmental models. And I'm going to speak from that perspective. I'm going to speak from the perspective of the model. It's the model that tracks human progression. This is the space I'm coming from. No matter how you look at it, there's progression, even for a human being. And it's a progressive model. And there's development and progression at each stage. So as the child becomes a teen, they develop into a different stage. They go into a different phase of their lives. As the teen progresses, they naturally progress into being an adult. I wouldn't say they act like an adult, but their body is perceived as being an adult. And the place that I'm going to start is I want to start in the beginning. And what I mean by the beginning is not the beginning of time, but essentially where do humans start? You know, where do we develop from? And this is going to overlay not only through a human's development, it's also of our species development. And it's a development of all species. There's a time where we develop as animals, and then there's a time where we actually leave that animal kingdom behind from a developmental point of view. And as we develop, we get a lot more complex. The more complex we become, the more challenges that we can actually solve, the more problems we are able to solve. And the more problems we are able to solve, we just create more challenges. There's more problems or there's more challenges to solve. And this happened right from the beginning of time. Now, as we develop as children or as we develop as cells, every time we go to the next level of complexity or as we develop into the next stage, we actually develop into a new world. So once we are born and we are children, in that first phase, we are completely unaware of the world itself. You know, we're sitting in our own little world, we're sitting in our own little cocoon. And as we develop and as our consciousness grows, there are times where we suddenly realize that the world is different. And every time we realize that the world is different, we see a new world, we enter into that new world. And what we're going to do here is I'm going to label these worlds as, let's say, world one, world two, world three, all the way up to world six. We are going to go up to world seven towards the end, just a little touch. And I'm primarily going to zoom into Worlds 3 and Worlds 6 because these are the worlds which you are currently wrestling with. This is where the big friction is and this is where not only the big problems are, but this is where the solutions lie. The solutions lie within World 3 and in World 6. So World 1 is about survival. It has no time perspective, no time horizon, no economy and no emotional quotient. World 2, our survival level increases, but it's still very much a hand-to-mouth world with no time horizon a very primitive emotional quotient, almost non-existent still, and still stuck in the primal emotions. There's still no economy, and they're all about tradition and supernatural and superstition. 
World 3? World 3 is all about get for me and get for me now, right now. It's all about force. It's a world full of bullies, predominantly. And there's still very little time horizon. Not thinking about tomorrow, especially the actions of today, their emotional quotient is extremely simple. They are either still or they are angry. There's still no need for economy because all that they do is they take whatever they want. They don't barter, they don't trade, they just take. And there are no written down rules in this world. It's only at World 4 where we get the rules written down. World 4 opens the door to things like science, cause and effect. It's not about superstition anymore. It's not about the supernatural. It's very much a science-based world. It's a world based on rules. It's based on right and wrong. Emotional quotient has come online. A very healthy economy develops in World 4. And this is the onset of civilization itself, where we actually start to farm, we settle down, and we build societies, civilizations, and the bigger cultures emerge out of this. World 5 leverages all of those rules and everything that World 4 has created, and they move into the world of creating wealth for themselves. So they use the same thing, they get for self, but they get for self not to upset everyone, and their time horizon really increases. They can really see into the future. They have a much bigger emotional quotient. And the World 6 emerges out of this. World 6 looks at all the wealth which is created and they can see that there's disparity and all the money in the world isn't solving their relationship issues, so they go into relationships. World 6 is a sharing and caring world. It's all about sharing, caring. And the World 6 wants to take the wealth which has been created by World 5 and World 4 and wants to distribute the wealth through all the worlds. It wants to distribute the wealth of 4 and 5 between World 1, 2, 3 and themselves and essentially, the ones who created 4 and 5, they're the ones who get to suffer for their redistribution. It's a crazy world. <laughs> it's a very interesting world. Now, that's just a super abbreviated version of these worlds and how these worlds actually work together. And to land the plane on all of this, let's link these worlds and give you a brief history of how these worlds developed through a story. And as always, each good story starts with Once Upon a Time. Once upon a time, there was a tribe living in trees and caves. And we'll call this tribe, Tribe 1. For Tribe 1, life was simple, but it was not easy. <laughs> the only thing on the everyday to-do list was to survive and avoid predators. And once they'd found food and avoided the predators, they found each other and found someone of the opposite sex, generally, to have sex with and release their stress and increase their numbers. And as their numbers increased, they banded together and they formed a clan. They formed tribe two, and this increased their survival potential. And one day as they were busy foraging for food, they found a tree. They found a magic tree which produced a lot of food, and they fed on the fruit which fell on the ground. And as they worked together as tribe two, they organized to get together so that they can climb the tree, and this gave them access to the fresher fruits higher up in the tree. And for tribe two, this was good. They just needed to rely on each other for their survival. And this was way easier than it was before. And they had no cares and no worries. They didn't care for tomorrow or next month. And they fermented some of the fruit, got drunk, and suffered the hangover with their small band. And everything was good. For now. Over time, the elders and the chief of the tribe sent the youngsters of the troop to get the fruit and bring it back for the tribe. Until one day, the youngsters decided not to bring the fruit back to the tribe but to rather just keep the fruit for themselves. Hmm. After all, they were the ones who worked the hardest. And why should they bring the fruit back to the tribe when they could just keep it for themselves? And they really did not like to be told what to do. So they decided to band together, and they formed the all-powerful tribe of Tribe 3. They got for themselves 
consumed for themselves, and did whatever they wanted to. After all, who was going to stop them? They climbed the tree, they picked the fruit, and they hoarded what they got, and didn't want to share what they had. What for? They worked for it themselves anyway. And all the extra fruit which they took just rotted. And when that fruit was rotten, they just went and got more. And one day they realized that that was a bit too much effort. It's a bit too much effort to climb the tree. It would be much easier to just go and plunder and steal from the peaceful tribe twos. And taking what tribe two had was of course a lot more fun. Stealing what they wanted and taking their women and alcohol. And neither tribe could see the damage they were doing and the damage they were about to embark upon. Because neither tribe had any time perspective or couldn't see further than their own noses, for tribes one, two and three, this was life. It's the way it's always been and the way it's always going to be. And life was good. It was so good. It was so good that they just kept going and going and stealing and picking and they kept going until the unfortunate tree was bare. And the tree tried. The tree tried its best to stay healthy and produce its fruit. But the tribes were just too much. The tribes were just way too much for it. Their constant taking and no replenishing and no maintenance and no nurturing was just too much for the tree. It was just way too much to take. And the tree started to suffer. And as each day passed, it wasn't able to produce enough fruit. But the tribes didn't know this. The tribes couldn't conceive that it was actually them their abuse upon the tree, which was hurting the tree. The tree was a gift. It was given to them by the gods. So why would this tree suffer? But of course they did notice that the tree was suffering, and that there was no fruit. And the tribes thought that there was an evil spirit who had now possessed this tree. The evil spirit was making this tree suffer. In some way they had angered the gods, and they had to make this right. They did their rain dances, they smoked weed, lost some virgins and sacrificed some of the young children to these evil spirits, the ones killing this tree, to appease these evil spirits so that they can just bring back the good times. But it was of no use. Every day they just kept doing what they did all the time and they just kept picking and picking and picking whatever the tree could squeeze out for that day until one day the tree had sustained so much damage that it could no longer produce anything. And why? Why had the spirits done this to them? Why? They had thrown the bones and they had done all the magic rituals that they could, and it just wasn't enough. The other unruly tribe three no longer bothered with magic and superstition, nor did they even bother with the effort of going up the tree. What for? That was way too much effort. They just kept stealing from tribe two. And for them, life was great. And in one final act, Tribe 2 went big, and they thought that maybe they should sacrifice the tree itself. Sacrifice this tree to the evil spirits, or sacrifice the tree to get the evil spirit out and bring back the good times. The unfortunate tree could do nothing as they set it on fire. It had given everything to them. It had kept all the tribes alive. And in its last moments, it gave its life to those who did not know any better. The superstitious Tribe 2 thought that it was their ancestors who were angry with them. So they spread the ashes of the burnt tree over the graves of their ancestors, gathered their stuff, and moved on. And tribe two journeyed. They journeyed through rough terrain. They slept on the ground and got rained on, and even lost a few members of the tribe. Until one day they ventured over a mountain, 
to discover an entire orchard of these magical trees. The spirits and their ancestors had smiled on them. Yes, the sacrifice had worked. Their ancestors had shown them the way. And they had prepared an enchanted forest full of these magic trees. However, there was a problem. There was a big problem. There was some sort of structure around this oasis of magical trees. And they couldn't understand it. They couldn't just walk up to these charmed trees and devour the fruit from these enchanted bringers of the sweet fruit. Oh no. And this was strange. This was new. And this confused the old chief of tribe too. The tribal chief and his shaman got together that evening to figure out this mysterious structure and what they had seen. After smoking an obnoxiously large bong while sitting in a super hot tent, sweating their balls off and consuming some kind of new delicious mushroom which they had found growing in the area, which seemed to give them extra magical powers. And these extra magical powers allowed them to commune directly with their ancestors. And after a long, hard night of tripping their faces off, they returned from this other world with names and explanations of what they had seen. They finally called this new structure a fence and a wall. And this magic utopia of fruit-bearing trees? This is called a village. Or it could be called a city. It could. And they knew how to get the fruit. Those magic plants and ball sweat had given them the incredible insight and ability to break through the fence and steal the fruit, which was just laying around everywhere. And night after night they broke through the fence and breached those walls, stealing from those strange dwellers of this enchanted city. Without knowing it, they had become just like that other tribe, that unruly tribe three. But they did not know any better. They were completely unaware of this. Their ancestors had obviously smiled on them, and this was once again another gift from their gods. Inside this magical city, the mythical dwellers of this new civilization discovered that some of their fruit was missing, and they soon discovered that there was a tribe sneaking through their fence jumping their walls, and stealing the fruits of their labor. And of course, this upset them. They were angry, and they planned to go out and sort out this new thieving tribe. No, said the leaders of this new tribe, called city dwellers. No, let us rather make contact with this tribe, and keep the peace. And as it was said, so it was done. A small group of this enchanted city place mounted their steel steeds with round legs and round feet. And they rode out to meet the chief, the chief of this new tribe. And after much fire dancing and chewing of those magic mushrooms, the city dwellers invited this new tribe to live within the walls of the city and share in the abundance of those magic trees. And this was good. It was great. The tribe learned that these trees did not grow by magic. And they learned that they could nurture them, multiply them, and even farm them. And this was great. And life was so easy. They no longer had to send their braves out to forage for food and risk that they would not return with a kill or that they would not return at all because they had been killed, either by a wild animal or by some animals from that unruly thieving tribe three. They learned that if they worked and everyone contributed, then everyone could share in the fruits of the labor. And everyone was useful. Everyone had a purpose. From young to old, the old taught the young their experiences, and the young listened and learned, and everyone flourished, and everyone prospered. In this new enchanted utopia, 
No one went hungry, and no one died from evil spirits. It was almost too good to be true. So good that the news needed to be shared, and the news got out. And the news reached that unruly tribe three, because some of the members of the superstitious tribe two still had some chinas and some friends and relatives in that aggressive, bloodthirsty, loudmouth, belligerent tribe. And that unruly belligerent tribe three tracked them down. And from the high ground of that mountaintop, Tribe 3 saw. They saw this new kind of magic, where people worked together. People traded with one another, and worked hard to make a better life for themselves, their children, their future families, and the next generation. They saw the results of people whose parents had suffered through many hardships to provide them with this future, and future opportunities. Maybe, maybe one day they would be the ancestors to thank for the peace and the comfort in which they live in now. Because these magical city dwellers could think of the future. They could think and create a better future for next year and for the next generation. And for tribes one, two, and three, this was inconceivable and unacceptable. Did this new enchanted tribe not see what they were doing? Did the new tribe's ancestors know what they were doing in their name and leaving behind all those old traditions? those valuable traditions, like shouting at the person next to them to make sure that the neighbours could hear what the conversation was. Those old traditions, like walking days to the next village just to pass on a message. Or using the magic of spraying insecticide in your face to kill those evil spirits. And of course, forgetting the superstitious magic, like raping children to cure HIV. Could these new tribes not see what they were doing? The heresy, the craziness. Tribes 1, 2, and 3 could not understand this. This was some new kind of magic and supernatural power to see into the future. It must be some kind of evil. Only special shamans and evil spirits could see the future. It must be some kind of evil. So one day, that unruly tribe 3, with their cool gold fillings in their teeth, gold chains and baggy clothes, they banded together. And with their sharp sticks, stolen weapons and petrol bombs, they breached the walls. They breached the walls of this enchanted city. And with great malice, greed, and anger in their hearts, they went on a killing spree. As if they were possessed. Like sharks in a killing frenzy, they murdered the men, raped the women, and burned the enchanted city to the ground. And this pleased Tribe Three. Oh man, the rush. The fucking rush. This gave the unruly tribe three immense satisfaction as they basked in the glory of their accomplishments. Look at what they had accomplished. They had conquered the evil magic of those evil city dwellers. They had killed everyone who could stop them. And they would freed the hard workers who had been possessed by this evil magic. They would broken the spell and they have now taken the magic trees for themselves. Just look at their power. Look at their superiority. Just look. This story is to be continued further in the podcast. And what you get at this point is you get World 4 and 5 sandwiched between World 6 and World 3. And this is another component or another puzzle piece to this puzzle which we are trying to solve. And this is where the problem starts. So let's take a quick look at World 3. Why is World 3 a problem? Let's go back down to early development. How does World 3 get its way? It throws tantrums. World 3 is a tribal idea. This is where our tribes form. Now we become a much stronger tribe. And this group is run by force. It's not about power. It's about force. 
It's about making, and I'll make you do what I want. This is the predator versus the prey, and there's very little emotional development at this stage. This is all about chaos. The more chaos which ensues around a world three, for the world three, this is paradise, because the world three thrives on chaos. The world three isn't necessarily interested in anything economic. You know, they're not even interested in any kind of barter. They won't barter and they won't trade, because remember, anything that they want, they take, and they'll take by force. It's in this world where you see things like rape and the bully. At this level, there is no consequential thinking, and they have zero time perspective. In other words, they don't think about the results of their actions. They'll do now and deal with their actions later. And anyone who has anything to say about what they do, well, they'll just kill them. I mean, what's the problem? We are stronger than you, so we'll just take you down. And this is a very interesting thing. They've developed at this point to be strong. And their nervous systems are different to World 2 and definitely to World 1. And they're very different to a World 6. Their nervous systems are built to take strain. This is part of what the military do. Why do you think the military puts a soldier through so many different tests and makes them do so many different things? And through training, they put their soldiers through intense, almost punishing situations. Because what they're doing is they're toughening up the soldier. So World 4 likes the World 3 to go into a World 4. It's good for the military. But from an unruly perspective, that's a very bad idea. And it's within World 3 where you see gangs emerge. This is a gang mentality. They move from the tribe and they move to be a gang. And you even see this in the animal kingdom, where you see the troops of these baboons or a troop of gorillas where they've broken off from the main troop and they just become these tyrants. And they feel zero guilt about what they do. They don't feel guilty. There's no remorse for them. It's in this world where you hear the statements like honor among thieves. What that means is that within a gang, there's a particular honor, there's a particular code, and the rules aren't written down. It's one of those things that you get initiated into. Because remember, they're not World 4s yet. They haven't written their stuff down. There's no black-on-white thinking. There's no black-on-white written-down rules. It's not binary yet. World 3 is only interested in getting for me and getting for me right now. It's not about getting for me for tomorrow. It's about getting for me right now. This is an intensely instant gratification-driven world. And if you want to see examples of this, take a look at the gangs, especially the people who are on the ground who are part of the drug cartels. Those are the classic World 3s. And essentially they live in the ghettos or in the projects. That's where you'll find them. This is where you can see pockets of World 3 living in the middle of society. They're literally living among us. They're literally inside society. They are inside the cities and they're living in the social structure. <clears throat> and because a World 3 lacks a time perspective and they operate out of impulsiveness and they are all about instant gratification, they predominantly use force and violence to get what they want. That's their means of control, and they are there to control the group. And if you're not part of the group, remember, they'll put you down. Or if you go against them, that's fine. They'll either catch you now, or they'll catch you later, and they'll kill you. And because they don't feel any guilt, they don't feel guilty about doing what they do. And what they do is they'll leverage World 1 and World 2's basic instincts of fear. And just like World 6, World 3 is also run on feeling. It's run on emotion. The thing is, it's run on a very deficient emotional system. The only rationale or the only reason or logic which exists at this level is just getting for self now. And the only thing that makes sense is if you want something, you go out and take it. If you want it, go take it. Who's going to stop you? And if they try and stop you, just kill them. And from a World 3's perspective, 
that makes total sense. I mean, of course, that's what you do. Why? Because that's how the world works. That's what happens. This is how the worlds work. And the biggest drive or the biggest sense of satisfaction for a World 3 is status. They want to be at the top of the pile. They want to drive the fanciest car. They want to be seen as the total top dog. Remember, World 3 is all about dog-eat-dog. It's about predator versus prey. And for them, they are the predators and everything else is prey. And when you see these small groups of World 3s running around, they're essentially belligerent. They're running around making a complete noise and they're doing it on purpose because they want to be seen, they want to be heard, and they're also out looking for opportunities. You know, if you look at the macaques, if you've ever watched those videos where the macaques are in those, in those ruins where tourists go, they're very opportunistic. And what they do is they're looking for an opportunity where they can just run up to a tourist and take the lunch away from the tourist. So the tourist is not a tourist to them, to the macaque monkey or to the world three. They are lunch. They are the ones who bring the lunch. And the way that they get it is they just roll up and take it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the videos. If anyone tries to resist the macaque monkey, I mean, that thing will get pretty violent on you very quickly. So most of the time, people just leave them to take their stuff, which is essentially mistake number one. Because if you don't deter them from the beginning, all they do is they just start doing it more. And when you get down to deterrence for a world three, this is where it gets very interesting. And this is where society really climbs onto the whole bandwagon. Because we've got to remember, a world three's nervous system and the entire structure, the way that they're built, the way that they're made, the way that the hormones are flowing through them, they're generally younger, they're generally stronger. Their entire nervous system is made for a high pain tolerance. So they can actually go through quite an exceptional amount of pain before it even starts to register. So if a world six had to experience the same situation as a world three, I mean, before it even got really uncomfortable for a world three, the world six would be crying and they would already be begging for whatever's going on to stop immediately. So to deter a world three, it takes an immense amount of force. And the only reason why I use force is because that's the only language which they understand. Think about it like this. While a lion is busy eating something or it's just taken down its prey, do you really think you could roll up, you know, with your world six and just start talking to the lion and say, you know, you shouldn't really do that. You know, the prey has feelings too. And the prey has a family. And, you know, you really shouldn't be doing, by the time you're trying to talk to the lion, the lion's just going to turn on you and eat you also. You become its lunch. There is literally no reasoning with this level. There's no reasoning with world three. And especially from things that make sense or using things like rational thought. When you say to the world three, if you keep destroying what you're destroying, you will eventually run out of your food source. They just look at you as if you're mad. They'll look at you as a, like, you don't get it, dude. I mean, if we run out of a food source here, we'll just go find a new food source. So yeah, there's always going to be another food source. So if we run out of one here, what's the problem? And of course, that kind of dialogue will really upset a world six because they say, but why do you talk to me like that? Because you're hurting my feelings. When you see two worlds coming from completely different ends of a spectrum and the spectrum of feelings, the one where the feelings are cared and the feelings are nurtured and the feelings are considered, that's a world six. Where the other side from a feeling perspective is, I just feel like it now and I'm going to take it now. If I want to take drugs now because it makes me feel good, I'll take drugs. I'll take drugs, I'll eat chips, I'll play Xbox, I'll just play TV games. And when I'm running out of drugs, I'll just go and find some more. Or if I run out of money to buy drugs, I'll just go take from someone and go and sell it or I'll go and do something and I'll do whatever I need to do to just go and get my hit. Because that's what we do as a World 3. So there's no deterring them. You can't threaten them. 
If you threaten the world tree, oh, you're in for trouble. Sure, don't threaten the world tree. Because the moment you threaten the world tree, all that the world tree thinks is, bring it on. Bring it on. And here's the thing. We've all gone through these phases. And depending on how young you are listening to this, sometimes this is actually still running through you. This, this testosterone and all that stuff is still coursing through your veins. And you're thinking, oh, yes, this is fantastic. Because that's the world three in you. And a pure world three will just think, bring it on. What are you going to do? And that's why when you see things in the States where they, you know, they cry police brutality, or even in South Africa when they go, oh, my gosh, look at how the police treated these people. What they don't understand is that a world three does not respond to threats. A world three cannot be reasoned with. And a world three has zero time perspective. And they have zero consequential thinking. They don't think their actions through. They don't think, oh my gosh, if I attack this person and kill them now, or how about this, if I attack this person, they're just going to stop. But they don't think that if I keep attacking them, the person might die. And then they don't think to themselves, oh, if the person dies, it's a bit of a problem. And if the person dies, well, uh, yeah, I live in a society with rules and laws. Sure, I could probably go to jail. Um, They don't think any of that. This is all about right now. And you can see this is where crimes of passion come out. Things just happen in the moment. And the only way that a World 3 knows how to deal with anything in the moment is by force. I mean, essentially, a World 3 literally thinks that they're invincible. And I know at this stage, we're really starting to push close to that fine line, you know, the line where people get sensitive and the place where people really become uncomfortable. Because now we are literally talking about the only way to slow down a World 3 is through excessive violence or potentially death. And at this point, the world six is going bananas because they're thinking, how is it possible that anyone could say this? How is it possible anyone could even think like this? You know, everyone has feelings and everyone needs to be considered. That's the problem. I warned you, world six is going to have a problem with this and an unhealthy, mismanaged world three is where the problem lies. And those words were important. It's an unhealthy, mismanaged and deficient world three, which is the problem. A healthy World 3 definitely has its benefits. And because a World 3 doesn't have a time perspective, they're only going to deal with what happens in front of them. Unless it's actually been done to them in the moment, at that time, they won't care because they have no idea of an effect. And if you do manage to deter them, the only thing that they'll do is they'll kind of disappear into the darkness, they'll sit and wait, and they just wait for nightfall. So under the cloak of darkness, they can do their covert actions. And they are very vested in covert sabotage. They'll sabotage something just for the hell of it. And the irony is they'll literally cut their own electricity or water off because it's going to hurt the person which they want to hurt. This is how World 3 operates. And I just want to remind you at this point, I'm not talking out of turn here. I'm talking out of the model. And I'm also talking out of the model which was built out of empirical evidence. These things are observable. These things are trackable. They are verifiable. They are tangible. They are measurable. And they are specific. This is not a theory. And back to our story. They'd broken the spell, and they've now taken the magic trees for themselves. Just look at their power. Look at their superiority. Just look. After burning the enchanted city to the ground, amidst the fires, gutted homes, and the dead bodies, Tribe 3 threw the biggest party that anyone had ever seen. They shot guns into the sky, the guns which had been created by the World 4s and 5s, they got drunk on their alcohol, high on their medicine, and had sex in the streets wherever they wanted. It was glorious. Glorious, I tell you, glorious. They had conquered the evil, they had set right all the wrongs. All the wrongs 
from the beninging, from the beninging of time. And they had done all of this by stealing, looting, raping, killing, and burning. And in their minds, they were all powerful. They were the ones who needed to be worshipped. They are the true saviors. None of this progress nonsense, none of this economy bullshit, none of this talking of technology like electricity and round-legged steeds called cars and petrol, and none of this indoor plumbing rubbish. I mean, you've got a garden, use that. And none of this door-to-door delivery nonsense and internet shit. And definitely none of this building for tomorrow heresy. That's just insanity. That is the evil magic of those wicked world fours, fives and sixes. The evil. That magic couldn't be that strong. It was not that powerful. It's not as powerful as the magic of our dead ancestors. Just look. And just look. It took them centuries to get to this point and decades to develop the infrastructure. It took them so long to build all of this. And just look. Look how quickly it took us to take it down. Tribe 3 waved their sharp sticks in the air as their comrades drank, chewed, smoked, and sniffed all of what above World 4 brings. All the while protesting, raging, and complaining about how good they ha- uh, Apologies. About how bad they have it. All the while wanting and using all the benefits which civilization, society, and development brings them. Like driving a stolen Lamborghini down a smoothly tarred road while making a video on a smartphone for his friends and sending it over the mobile airwaves through the internet to his mate, who watches it on a brand new stolen 58-inch flat-screen TV, while snacking on some chips which was produced in a factory which was just burned down to the ground for no logical, rational, or reasonable explanation. And all this was done with no guilt, no remorse, no need for economy, no need for time perspective, no consequential thinking. No logic, no compassion, and no rational thought. And what for anyway? If I'm a World 3, today is today. Now is now. And tomorrow's problems are tomorrow's problems. Today, today we gorge. Today we party. Today it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Who cares about the hangover? Who cares about the aftermath? Who cares about the death and the destruction? Who cares? Only those greedy bastards who created it all. Only those other unfair, vicious worlds above World 4 who are raping the planet and exploiting us. Only they really give a shit. But let's not talk about our direct rape and destruction of lives. Let's not talk about how World 3 destroys livelihoods and infrastructure. Let's not talk about our lust for destruction, thirst for blood, and regressive ideas, which keep us stuck. No, let's rather play the weak card. Let's rather play the victim card. Let's play the have sympathy for us card. Because look at us. Look at how bad our lives are. I mean, we get to go out and kill and torture farmers and anyone else that gets in our way or who we happen to pick on. We get to do all of that. And the world sixes will protect us. The story is to be continued. The world three. They literally think that they're invincible until they're challenged. Until you meet them with the same level of force which they bring to you, they will continue. And they will just keep going. The moment that the World 3 meets a bigger or a stronger threat, they back off. In fact, they actually turn and they run like cowards. There's a particular sect of the World 3 which doesn't necessarily respond like this. They actually just keep going until they're completely wiped out. But once again, remember, World 3 is not run by rationality. They're not run by thinking or reasoning. 
So at this stage, they're not thinking about that at all. And there's no consequences. There's no time perspective. And at this time, their drug of choice is just pure anger and rage and malice. At this stage, they just become malicious and spiteful. They will destroy just for the sake of destroying. This is where the childhood saying of cutting off your own nose to spite your own face fits perfectly. And they feel zero remorse for this. Zero. Especially in the moment. Once everything's calmed down, oh my gosh, can these ones cry? Yo, they can cry. And then suddenly, now they want forgiveness, or now they want to be let off the hook. But just like a macaque who's been caught, you know, once you let them go, what do you think they're going to do again? They're going to do it again. They're going to just repeat a pattern of behavior because they actually don't learn at this stage. They don't change a behavior. Now, if it's possible, if you can go to the healthy side of the spectrum of a world three, on that end of the spectrum of a world three, you actually get a hero. You get someone who's prepared to do what is necessary to get the job done. On the one end, you get the outright criminal, the drug lord, the drug dealer, the criminal, the warlord, the instigator, the gang member. And on the other side of the spectrum, you get the hero. You get the one who's prepared to take these talents and use them in a very constructive way. It's to stop the gangs, stop the drug dealing, stop the ghettos, stop the belligerents, and stop the violence. Probably by now you're sick of me repeating myself. As I said in the beginning, all of the stuff bears repeating because this message really needs to sink in. And one of the ways to sink it in is to repeat the message. I heard it once said that it takes about seven times before we hear something for the first time. And that's why there's an irony here. The only language a world three understands is the language of the world three. And this is almost like a pyramid. Right at the base, there's a lot more belligerence and violence and outright criminality in the space of the world three than there are heroes. Right at the tippy top, the ratio between criminal and hero is tiny. It takes a world three to stop a world three. So as we marshal the heroes of world three to settle down the chaos of the rest of the world threes, no talking, no debating, no rationalizing or justifying or reasoning with them works. So all the tools which we are using currently to try and cool down our threes or try and cool down all the ones in world three, it's meaningless. It's pointless. It's futile. It won't work. It's only when the world three cools down and goes back into the predominance of world four, five, and six, or back into the world of two, now you can use a different language with them. One-on-one, you generally can have a decent conversation. One-on-one. But the moment that the three enters a group and their emotions start running and they start hyping each other up and the one eggs the other one on, this is a making of a massive forest fire. And it's literally the one that we've just seen. We definitely got to get our shit together. We've got to get our act together so quickly. All the efforts of our politicians, completely ineffectual. This has been a Breakthrough Radio production with your host, Andrew Mayer. I'll continue this topic and this discussion in further episodes. If this topic interests you, hit the subscribe button and add this podcast to your automatic download feed. Thank you for your time, and I'll catch you in the next episode.